just three more weeks of that. Well, we're going to uh, dismiss the young people. Um, we have a, a children's experience for them during this teaching time, uh, and they will probably want to go this week because there's a lot of quotes. So just, just a warning. Uh, so K through fifth grade, uh, there's a children's experience for them. They're going to follow Miss Vicki, uh, and she's going to take their, there's nursery care available. Uh, but of course, all children are welcome to stay throughout the worship service. Uh, we're going to have a word of prayer, and then we will begin the teaching time of our worship experience. Let us pray. Lord, we ask now that your Holy Spirit comes upon us, that you just set our hearts on fire, that you open our minds and our ears to your word, that as we delve into these questions, as we look at these myths, as we ultimately turn to Scripture, that you will speak to us in a way that we can take home, a way we can live, a way that can truly bring us new life. We pray this thing in your holy name. Amen. Well, I welcome you again. Uh, again, I'm Mark Myers, the teaching pastor here at New Life, and this is the second week of our five-week series, Mythbusters, Busting the Myths They Say About Christianity. Welcome all of those who are joining via podcast or online. Uh, so here at New Life, we talk about finding. I talked a little bit about that earlier today. And one of the problems is as we go out and we try to find people, share with them our stories, uh, they may not believe the same things that we do. They may actually uh, believe things that are different. They actually may have questions about God, Christianity, who Jesus is. Uh, so we want to uh, inform us and we want to educate us all uh, ourselves uh, so that we can answer some of these most uh, asked questions. So this series is devoted to some of the most common myths people believe about Christianity, uh, particularly non-Christians. They are statements like there is no God, which we talked about last week. Jesus didn't exist. Christians are stupid. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, Christians are opposed to science and progress, and Christians are only obsessed with issues like abortion and homosexuality. So today we're going to look at the myth, and I apologize, we had some technical difficulties, so uh, we won't have slides, but I do encourage you to take a look at your New Life Notes because scriptures and resources are in there. We are going to look at the myth that Jesus didn't exist. Now, this may be completely um, just not even in your realm of thinking. If you grew up in the church, uh, if you've been a Christian the majority of your life, uh, you probably have never asked the question, did Jesus exist? But for many many centuries, actually since the uh, early years of uh, Christianity, and especially here in the last 60 or 70 years, people have actually questioned whether there was a person on earth called Jesus of Nazareth, whether the person of Jesus, whom we talk about quite often every week, whether that person actually lived and breathed. Uh, and they, they've, uh, in the 50s and 60s, there was a move for the search for the historical Jesus, and it's uh, got, kind of come up and gone down over the years. So I believe, if you haven't already, you may encounter someone sometime in your journey, sometime in your finding experiences, that may have some convincing arguments that may have been told by you know, CNN or uh, Fox or MSNBC or, or whatever uh, you know, Discovery Channel documentary they watched last week that says Jesus didn't exist. So we're going to try to bust that myth tonight and prove, uh, as best we can, at least give us some material to show that Jesus did in fact exist and why Jesus is so important. We're going to turn to scripture later on tonight, 
But as you talk to non-Christians, Scripture is not the primary resource that you can go if you're trying to prove some of these myths wrong. Ultimately, Scripture is where you're going to want to turn people, but it helps to have some uh, non-scriptural sources. We also have a lot of information from Christian uh, fathers and mothers and and Christian theologians throughout history, uh, and we will talk about a couple of them. But before we do that, we really need to look at non-Christian sources. People, historians, theologians, philosophers, who were not Christian, who even hated Christianity and persecuted Christians, but who wrote things about Jesus Christ. And uh, I, this stuff just fascinates me. It may not fascinate you at all, uh, but at least you need to know that it is out there, uh, and these things have been going on for thousands of years uh, and hundreds and hundreds of years, and there is so much resource. Uh, as we look today, uh, we need to kind of get a sense of our timeline. We believe Jesus was born, of course, at 0 A.D., uh, give or take about four years. We, we're not exactly sure when he was born, uh, but, we, you know, traditionally we say 0 A.D. He died around 33 A.D. Uh, the first century is between 0 A.D. and 99 A.D., and the second century is between 100 A.D. and 199 A.D., right? Uh, so what the, the resources that we're going to look at today are primarily in the first century, which people in the first century would have had first, uh, first-hand access to Jesus, and then people in the second century who had either second or third-hand knowledge of Jesus. You know, they knew a guy who knew a guy that literally knew Jesus. Obviously, there are people in the third and fourth and fifth and throughout time who have written things about Jesus. I wanted to make sure that tonight, uh, in our limited time, we focused on the very earliest material that we had access to. So as we start, and again, there's a lot of quotes tonight um, that's different for us, but, uh, you know, occasionally it's okay. I wanted to make sure that you had this information. Uh, Some critics claim that uh, Christianity itself didn't start until the 3rd or 4th century. Uh, But we do have plenty of evidence that Christianity was around and strong uh, as early as about 33 AD. One of the... uh, prolific non-Christian writers about the church. Now, he, he's not going to address whether Jesus lived or not, but he does address the early church. Is Pliny the Younger? Uh, Pliny was a uh, first and second century. He lived over the gap there. Governor of Pontus and Bithynia. Uh, he was an expert of Christianity, and the reason he was an expert was because he arrested, uh, he sought out, he tortured, and ultimately executed Christians. Uh, He did that because that was part of his job. Uh, The Christianity in his time was seen as kind of a nuisance. Uh, So it was his task to go out, find Christians, figure out what made them tick, and ultimately he is responsible for the deaths of many of the early uh, brothers and sisters. So here's uh, what Pliny says in one of his letters uh, to uh, the emperor. Meanwhile, in the case of those who are denounced to me as Christians... I have observed the following procedure. These are the things he did. I interrogated these as to whether they were Christians. Those who confessed to be Christians, I interrogated a second time and a third time, threatening them with punishment. Those who persisted, I ordered executed. They asserted, however, that the sum and substance of their fault or error had been that they had been accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn, sing responsively a hymn to Christ, as to a God, and bind themselves by oath, not some crime, not to commit fraud, not to commit theft, not to commit adultery, not falsify their trust, or to refuse to return a trust when called to do so. When this was over, it was custom to depart 
and to assemble again to partake in food, but ordinary and innocent food. I judged it all the more necessary to find out what the truth was by torturing two female slaves who were called deaconesses. But I discovered nothing else but depraved, excessive superstition. Pliny actually outlines us what the early church looked like. They met together. They sang songs. They read scripture. They ate. Uh, they, they obviously had a system of deaconesses and deacons. But he writes in his letters, nothing odd, nothing evil, uh, but just very superstitious people. And that you'll hear that a lot of the non-Christian authors uh, believe in Christianity is very superstitious, very over the top uh, in their, uh, in their uh, responses. Uh, so that was in the first century, writing that, in fact, the church is alive. This is how they lived. Uh, this is what they were doing. Not too long after Jesus died. Now, Lucian, who was a second century Greek political uh, satirist, uh, he, again, uh, not a, a friend of Christianity, mocked Christianity uh, again and again. Uh, you, you can kind of think of him, he, he wasn't, he's kind of like a political cartoonist, uh, but really more of a political commentator, kind of like John Stewart or Stephen Colbert, uh, kind of mocked everything that was happening, but didn't hold any punches. And so this is what he wrote about Jesus. The Christians, you know, worship a man to this day, the distinguished personage who introduced their novel rites and was crucified on that account. It was impressed on them by their original lawgiver that they were all brothers from the moment they converted and denied the gods of Greece, and they worship a crucified sage and live after his laws. Uh, Lucian outlines for us that uh, the Christians worshipped a human being, that he was crucified, they worshipped him as a god, uh, and they believed that they were in some type of brotherhood. Celsius, who was a second century, so we're getting farther and farther away, philosopher, um, just had contempt and hatred for Christianity. He argued actually against the virgin birth. He said that Jesus' father was a Roman soldier, which was actually a common attack in the second century, uh, and looked to disgrace the church wherever he could. But all that being said, he never doubted that Jesus existed. Uh, this, this passage just yeah, I just think it's hilarious, but you may not. Jesus, on account of his poverty, was hired out to go to Egypt. While there, he acquired certain magical powers. He returned home, elated at possessing these powers, and on the strength of them, he gave himself out to be a god. It was by no means, uh, it was by means of sorcery that he was able to accomplish the wonders which he performed. And, and hear this. Let us believe that these cures or the resurrection or the feeding of the multitude with a few loaves. These are nothing more than the tricks of jugglers. It is by the name of certain demons and by the use of incantations that Christians appear to be possessed of miraculous power. Not only is Celsus uh, saying that Jesus lived and breathed, but he actually says, yes, Jesus cured the sick. Yes, he rose the dead. Yes, he multiplied loaves and fishes. And yes, Christians are doing the same thing. His claim is that it's through some uh, type of sorcery and not through the power of God. <laughs> that being said, there's not a lot of contemporary atheists who would give credence to that. But uh, as early as the second century, uh, you can see these discussions are happening. Uh, Cornelius, a first century Roman historian, uh, early, early and close to Jesus' life, 
He was noted as one of the finest historians of the first century uh, and one of the finest Roman historians who has lived. He did also look down on Christianity, but he wrote this. Christus, the founder, Christus, Roman, Latin for Christ, the founder of the Christian name was put to death by Pontius Pilate, pure creator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius. Uh, but the pernicious superstition, you can look that up when you go home, it's, it's, it's not a nice word, repressed for a time, broke out again, not only through Judea, but where the mischief originated, but also through the city of Rome. Cornelius, uh, even though he, he thought we were pernicious, so again, you can look that up, that's a fun word. He again says, yes, Jesus lived, he was put to death by Pilate, and then this Christianity has spread not only where it started in Judea, but also through Rome. So those are people who had no love of Christianity, who are basically saying to us, uh, yes, Jesus lived, of course he lived, we have quite a bit of evidence that he lived, because we know people who know people. Now we come to uh, the big name in historical evidence for Jesus, Titus Flavius Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish priest who later became a Roman citizen. He was the most, north, and, and probably still is, the most noteworthy uh, Jewish and Roman historians uh, pretty much throughout history. Uh, you can read all of his works to this day. I have a tome, a pretty big tome, like an encyclopedia, of all of his stuff, beautiful stuff. He actually uh, was alive when Jerusalem was sacked by Nero, and he writes about the temple burning to the ground, the, the Holy of Holies, that beautiful church uh, where thousands, hundreds and thousands of Jews um, worshipped every single day. He writes as it burned uh, and just was destroyed, and it's, it's very, uh, uh, very emotional. But he also talks about Jesus quite a bit. This is what he uh, says about Jesus. Now, there was about this time Jesus a wise man, it is, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works and teaching of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many Jews and many Gentiles. He was the Christ, and when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, the Jews, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again on the third day. As the divine prophets had foretold these and thousands uh, of other wonderful things concerning him, and the tribes of Christians so named for him are not extinct to this day. Uh, Titus is, or Josephus is writing uh, just a few decades after Jesus died. He was born uh, probably just about a year after Jesus died. Uh, and and he, he very concerned with the authenticity of the history uh, and writes uh, very, very accurately about who Jesus was. Now, I, I could spend the next uh, several years actually reading accounts from early Christian authors. Uh, the, the couple, I'm just going to read two tonight uh, from Christian authors in the first and second century. The two that I'm going to read uh, really show that as soon as Christianity started to get some ground, people started defending who Jesus was and what Jesus meant to them. We're going to start with uh, St. Ignatius of Antioch who was a first-century Christian. He was actually ordained bishop by St. Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter, and studied with the Apostle John. So he had uh, second-hand knowledge of Jesus. He spent time with people who spent time with Jesus, a lot of time with Jesus. This is what he writes, and he writes a lot. Uh, Jesus Christ, 
who was of the race of David, who was the son of Mary, who was truly born and ate and drank, was truly persecuted under Pontius Pilate, was crucified and died in the sight of those in heaven and on earth and those under the sun, who moreover was truly raised from the dead, his father having raised him, who in the like of fashion will also raise those who believe in him. Uh, So Ignatius laying it out there, and obviously people were already questioning whether Jesus had lived. Uh, He's saying, yes, Jesus was born, he ate and drank, uh, and this is who he was. Uh, We go to the second century, we have Justin Martyr, who was another saint, and ironically also a martyr. Unfortunate last name for him. Um, Martyr, someone who's killed for their faith. Uh, We just call him Justin Martyr, that wasn't his actual last name. Uh, He was born Gentile and converted to Christianity. Uh, This is what he writes. There was a village in Judea, 35 stadia from Jerusalem, where Jesus Christ was born. And you can see from the tax registers under Cyrenius, your first procreator in Judea. He was born of a virgin as a man and was named Jesus and was crucified and died and rose again and ascended into heaven. After he was crucified, All his acquaintances denied him. But once he had risen from the dead and appeared to them and explained the prophecies which foretold all these things and ascended into heaven, the apostles believed. They received the power given to them by Jesus and went into the world preaching the gospel. Uh, So those are some some early non-Christian authors, some early Christian authors who just kind of, as a matter of fact, say, this was Jesus, uh, this is who he was. Um, now, we, we could spend uh, just a lot of time going through that, and those are not the only resources. I'm going to actually give you some resources at the end of uh, service tonight if you're interested. There are so, so, so many resources about the existence of Jesus Christ that you would actually have to be the kind of most extreme conspiracy nut to believe that Christians or the Catholic Church or somebody later on edited all of them. And got into all of them. And there are some people who believe that because they are that extreme. Uh, but it's, it, it's, almost, it's almost harder to believe that Jesus didn't exist than Jesus did exist, given the evidence. And in fact, we have more evidence that Jesus existed than almost everybody else in that era. No one seems to question that Cleopatra existed or Socrates existed, and we have much, much less information about them. Julius Caesar, that's somebody who I could say, and probably all of you have some idea who he was. Uh, We don't have very much information that he existed, uh, but we have legions and tomes and libraries filled with information that Jesus did, in fact, uh, live and walk on this earth. So I hope as you share your faith and if this topic comes up, you can, you can talk about it informally. Uh, you can talk about it with compassion and with evidence at hand. But our faith is not a, uh, based on the existence of Jesus. It's not based on the existence of a man who lived in a certain place at a certain time. Not only. Because if that was all our faith was, that we worshipped a human being who lived at a certain date, at a certain time, in a certain place, then Jesus would be like to us a great philosopher or a great teacher or a great rabbi, a great leader. But we believe Jesus was a lot more. Now let's turn to the Bible, as we often do, and look at see what those authors who had second uh, and first-hand knowledge of Jesus, what they have to say about who Jesus is. Now, much of the New Testament, actually most of the New Testament, 
uh, is written uh, as letters from the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul didn't technically have firsthand knowledge of Jesus. He had an experience of the risen Christ, but he also knew all of the apostles. He knew all the people who knew Jesus. And he, he writes uh, to many, many churches throughout the world in this time. This is what Paul writes in Romans, and all the scriptures are here in your New Life Notes. Romans, 1, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. From Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for God's good news. God promised this good news about his son ahead of time through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. His son was descended from David. He was publicly identified as God's son with power through his resurrection from the dead, which was based on the spirit of holiness. This son is Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we have received God's grace and our appointment to be apostles. This was to bring all Gentiles, all non-Jews, into faithful obedience for his namesake. Here Paul tells us that Jesus was in fact a man, but Jesus was also the Son of God. Later the church would describe Jesus as fully God, fully divine, and fully human. Now there are four Gospels, four narratives about the life of Jesus. Three of them we call synoptic because they are kind of based on the same information. Uh, one of the others is John. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels because they seem similar. And then John, a very different gospel. They uh, tell us a lot about who Jesus was, and they're really our primary information about who Jesus was. But I want to read the earliest gospel uh, written in about 60 A.D., the Gospel of Mark, written about 60 A.D., just about three decades after Jesus was crucified. Mark 1, chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, God's Son. Mark takes his entire gospel, the entire narrative he shares, uh, the story that he paints about Jesus Christ through those lenses that Jesus was God's Son. Next we come to Peter. Peter was one of the disciples, one of the first called. Peter spent so much time with Jesus. Peter was technically the first pope of both Roman Catholic and Greek Orthodox churches. Uh, they, they both claim St. Peter as their, their first pope or patriarch, uh, respectively. A great leader, the cornerstone of the church. And we attribute the letters First and Second Peter to him, written about 65 AD by either Peter or one of his disciples, uh, probably written by someone else in terms of Peter may have been uh, uh, dictating it to them because we, we don't think he wrote. And this is what Peter says, uh, and this is beautiful in, in the second book of Peter, uh, the second letter of Peter, chapter 1, verses uh, 16 through 18. We didn't repeat crafty myths when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Quite the contrary, we witnessed his majesty with our own eyes. He received honor and glory from God the Father when a voice came down from him, from the magnificent glory, saying, this is my dearly loved son with whom i am well pleased we ourselves heard this voice from heaven while we were with him on the mountain peter's witnessing here uh, to who he's writing to saying that we were on that mountaintop we call it the transfiguration story we were on that mountaintop and we witnessed the heavens open and god rain down and say this is my son whom i am well pleased now, Peter is, is a little bit of biased, you know. Uh, he, he did love Jesus, and uh, he, he wants to make it evident, however, that Jesus Christ 
is God's son. And he came to earth with power and majesty. Now that brings us to the end of the first century and the last written writings of the New Testament, those attributed to the Apostle John, uh, those attributed to the Johannine community, the community that sprung up around John. Some argue that as close as Peter was, Peter and Jesus were, that even John was closer, that John was the disciple whom Jesus loved uh, most, that he was the beloved disciple. Uh, now, that's according to the Gospel of John, so you know, we have to so, you know, take that under advisement. Um, but we, we do know that John and Peter, or John and Jesus had a special relationship, and at the foot of the cross, John was the only disciple, along with Mary, Jesus' mother, and Mary Magdalene. Tradition states that John lived a long life, and he died a natural death, as opposed to the other 11 disciples who Judas, of course, hung himself, and the other 10 were executed in some fairly gruesome ways. In his gospel, in 1 John, or in John chapter 1, excuse me, he writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Now the Word became flesh and made his home among us. We have seen his glory, glory like that of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. At the end of the day, it is vitally important, and that's why we spend an entire night on it, that Jesus lived and breathed and walked among us. We believe that Jesus was human because of that humanity. He's able to know us, and we're able to know him. We share the same suffering. We share the same life. We share the same existence. But we also believe, as Christians, that Jesus was more than a man. Jesus was the Son of God. The Word, Logos is the word in Greek, who became flesh, who was the Christ, which means the Messiah, the one chosen to come and save the world, to save humanity. Now, you can give some pretty uh, sp strong evidence, uh, I, I think quite a bit of strong evidence, to people who don't believe, to people who are questioning that Jesus did exist, that he walked on this earth, that he was a good teacher, a powerful leader, a great humanitarian. The trick is, however, or the opportunity, the desire for us as people fishing for other people, is to help people know that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that he lived, died, and rose again to bring us new life, life everlasting. Now, I gave a lot of information, and I don't usually quote that much in a sermon, uh, so I wanted to give you some of the resources. They are in your new life notes. So uh, you, you can, of course, uh, point people to the sermon online or you can talk with them about these resources. When this stuff comes up, uh, if this is stuff you're interested in, there's just a, a lot of stuff about it um, out there. Of course, first and foremost, the Bible. Uh, that is our primary source of the knowledge of God. As Christians, that's where we always look to first. Obviously, non-Christians have to come around there. Uh, sometimes all it takes is for you to open up scripture when you're talking to a non-Christian friend uh, and read something uh, and if, if you feel moved to do that and, and that's all it takes. Um, sometimes we have friends that take a little bit more work uh, and so we have to kind of do both and. 
Uh, you can actually go and you can see most of it online or you can go to the bookstore and buy The Complete Works, which is everything Josephus wrote. If you have a great uh, desire to learn ancient Jewish history, that is the man to read. Uh, it is, he's a beautiful writer. He has an eloquence about his writing. Uh, he writes about the destruction of Jerusalem. He writes about the dysphoria of the Jews. It is very, very important stuff. And he also writes about Jesus Christ uh, from a non-Jew, uh, from a non-Christian perspective. Uh, you can also just check out the early Christian authors, uh, Ignatius and uh, Justin, uh, Origen, um, uh, several other thousand people. Um, you can uh, one of the resources you can get is early Christian writings, and that's a Penguin Classic compilation of many of the early Christian writings. Uh, again, you can read a lot of those online. Lee Strobel, who wrote uh, The Case for Christ, which is an excellent book. Uh, him and his wife, I believe, also wrote a book called The Case for the Real Jesus, which uh, outlines a lot of this stuff and talks a lot about this. Excellent resource. Anything Lee Strobel is excellent. Uh, I encourage you, if you haven't read The Case for Christ, an excellent read uh, and an excellent resource to give to those who are questioning. Uh, and then Heresy, uh, which is written by Michael Corrin, is a new book. And a lot of the quotes that I used tonight were actually from the uh, second or first the first chapter of heresy. Uh, so if you're interested in the actual quotes that I used, uh, several of them, the non-Christian sources, came from the book Heresy. So with that knowledge in hand, uh, and, uh, and with that uh, information now uh, empowering you, it is our uh, call and, and our calling to bust those myths that people have. People think all kinds of weird things because other people tell them, and the TV tells them, and the news tells them about Christianity. But we have to remember that as important as it is uh, to uh, bust myths, it's more important to share the good news of Jesus Christ with all of those people in our lives so that they too may know new, Christ, new life Excuse me, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us transition now to the uh, third part of our worship experience, the praise time. Uh, during our transition, we will collect an offering for the night that goes to support the ministry of New Life, the ministry of this church. Again, I thank you for all of your support over this last year. Uh, after this series, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what things look like in for next year and, and how you can support us uh, through that way. So we will uh, get to that after our Mythbusters series. So as we do that, and as we transition, we will enter a time of prayer. Remembering those who uh, maybe can't be here tonight. Remembering those in our world. Remembering those uh, who need Christ's love and who need to hear his message of hope. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day, for these beautiful uh, times that we have to gather to worship. We thank you for all the gifts that we have, and we uh, just ask that you bless any gifts that we give, uh, that out of our abundance, uh, that out of our uh, scarcity, you may truly use our gifts to build up your church. You never told us to build a church. You said, I'll be building. You make disciples, and that's what we want to be about here at New Life. And so I ask that you guide us by your Holy Spirit to help us make disciples every day help us disciple ourselves and help us find and form and forward out into this world. Lord, we ask that you be with all of those who are suffering, all of those who are ill, those who have been killed and their families that they leave behind. 
We ask that you be with all of those who are alone, those who are in darkness, those who need some love and have none to their knowledge. We ask that you help us show them your grace and that you show them your grace in real ways. Lord, we ask that you be with the leaders of our world, the leaders of our nation in this time of transition, the leaders of our community. We ask that you be with those on strike and those working behind doors to find a way where everyone can come out heads held high. We ask that you be with those who serve us. Be with our men and women overseas. Be with police officers and firefighters and our medical personnel. Those who work on the highways. Those who work on our yards. Those who serve us at our favorite restaurant. Be with those who teach us and those who teach them. Be with those who have thankless jobs with those who are fighting for justice, however big or however small it may be. Lord, ultimately, we ask that you be with your church. We ask you to build your church. You said, upon this rock, I will build my church, and we know that you are still building, and that you call us to fish. Make us fish for people. Make us disciples who are disciples. Make us one body guided by your will son Jesus Christ comes again and we no longer have to question and we know because we stand in his presence we pray these things in your holy name Amen